and Young, and welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have two guests. I have uh, Jason Edwards. Hello, Jason. Hi. Hello. Hello. And I have Steve, and I'm going to say Guntley. Is that correct? You got it. You got it in one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Today we're going to be discussing um, episode six, which is called Charity Drive. It was broadcast on the 30th of November, 2003. And it was actually broadcast before what is episode 5 on the DVDs, which is Visiting Hours, which I've already covered. Um, so things are just slightly out of order here at the start of the first season. Um, the episode was directed by Greg Matola. Um, he's known for directing a number of films, but post, you know, most famously Superbad. Um, and he did Paul and Adventureland. You know, he's... he's He's done a few films. Um, he he directs another two episodes in season one. Um, oddly enough, he directed last week's episode or, or the previous the previous episode, Visiting Hours. But because they've been rearranged, this is essentially like this was his debut, but that came first. It's very confusing, and it was written by uh, Barbie Adler. Later, went on to work with Will Arnett on the sitcom Up All Night. Um, and she's also written for um, My Name is Earl and Perfect Couples. Uh, and she started out as a writer on Boy Meets World. And she will she will only write one more episode this season, but she's back next season for five episodes. I'm going to give you the plot that's in the DVD case um, that is actually incorrect, um, but I'm going to I'm going to read it anyway. And the summary is. Lucille's scheme to upstage her rival, Lucille Ostero, at a bachelorette auction backfires when Job mistakenly bids $10,000 on the wrong Lucille. Um, and, of course, it is not Job that does the bidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that is wrong. Um, right off you know, the bat. So wrong. It's, it's just a twist. You know, they're, they're setting us up to believe one thing, and then it's like, whoa, pull the rug out. I believe that is the <laughs> prestige. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask both of you, uh, you know, when did you come to the show? Like, did you watch it when it was on the air or did you watch it later on a DVD or, you know, when it, when Netflix did the series, did you catch up with it then? Um, well, as is the story with so many other things I've come to enjoy, uh, I was introduced to it by my girlfriend in college. She got to it much before I did and said, hey, you should check this out. And I said, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to like this, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Um anything about myself and anyway i watched it and it's great uh, i did not see it when it was first airing because i would have been about um well, i'm gonna um date myself as relatively young i was about 14 when it first started airing and i don't know if i would have appreciated it to the proper degree then i don't know <laughs> you, you like to think that you're always very um ahead of the curve and smart and clever but no i, I probably wouldn't have gotten it you, you know? weren't you weren't a malcolm in the middle fan then because Malcolm in the Middle was the uh, was the lead-in for it when in the first season. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about that. Is that true? Is that really that Malcolm in the Middle was the lead-in? Yeah, Malcolm in the Middle was the lead-in for the first season. Then they moved it backwards so that it was, for the second season, the lead-in was The Simpsons. Uh, because obviously it won the Emmy for Best Comedy. And so Fox sort of wanted to give it a stronger lead-in. Uh, Steve, when did you first uh, watch it? Came to me a little later. I think both uh, the the first two seasons were already on DVD, and uh, I'd heard of the show because it won the Emmy and everything like that. But I, I'd never actually gotten around to seeing it. Uh, then a, a friend of mine showed me an episode. I think he started me on the was it 
called Afternoon Delight? I don't remember. It's the one where they're singing Afternoon Delight. Yeah. That is the title of the episode, yeah. Okay, yeah, That that's the one that they started me on. And I'm just like, I, I was super intrigued by this show that just made so many jokes about incest, like right <laughs> off the bat on a network TV show. And this is before Game of Thrones made that kind of thing cool. You know, this was just like, it was, it was the... I don't know. It was just this co- real constant barrage of like these ridiculous jokes. I'm like, I have to get into this. So uh, I immediately went out and bought the first season DVD and I streamed, I watched the whole thing and I just blazed through it. I've probably watched the entire series like six or seven times all the way through. And it's, it's stuck with me because I discover something new every single time I watch it. Every time I catch a new joke or I, I understand a joke I didn't understand before or uh, yeah, so the, it's it's so incredibly densely layered. I just became addicted to it. Um, you know, let's uh, let's kind of get into what this episode is all about. Um, as you heard in the incorrect DVD summary, <laughs> the kind of I, I think it's funny actually because this episode, the kind of uh, the episodes that I've discussed up until this point, have kind of always had like a really strong a plot where you know Michael will be trying to do something with the business, and he's he's trying to do something with the business here as well when we you know the the permits um and then they'll have like a b plot which will usually involve you know one of the the siblings doing something that's slightly less important but you will kind of tie into the main plot and then there will usually just be a runner where there's there's a joke that just keeps coming back that will that might be used in one or two scenes um but for this and i don't know how you guys feel about this but for this episode it felt to me like there were three really strong plots and none of them seem to... I mean, you could say that the Michael plot is kind of the A plot, but all he's doing is, like, driving a car around. <laughs> like he's, yeah. He's yeah, not... It's, re- yeah. it's pretty well distributed, yeah. Yeah, he's not really doing anything, and that kind of ties into Lindsay's plot, where she goes to the wetlands, but all she does is go to the wetlands and then come back from the wetlands, and then Michael bid, does his pity bid at the end, which ties it into, you know, the, the kind of the uh, the Buster plot. And again, that that cut, like... Maybe it's because Tobias is missing from this episode um, that it, it feels like everything is a bit... They have a bit more space for the characters. And I would even say that George Sr. is kind of... He has a couple of funny jokes, um, you know, with regards to being the belle of the ball and how everyone wants him, you know, at their dance and to join his gang. and all, Like, all the gang stuff is just funny little jokes. It's not. It's not really a. It doesn't feel like a story to me. It just feels like George Senior just being there and just making yeah, gags. We, yeah. We never see any of the gangs like trying to court him or anything. We never see any no. of that. We're just hearing his perspective, and he's just having such a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, and that's where I would have loved to have seen. I would have loved to have seen like members of these of these gangs like giving him like if they're in like the you know like in the uh, the the room where they they meet like the meeting room at the, in the prison. I would have loved to have seen one of the gang members give him something while he was there with Michael, so mm-hmm. that we could see it was real. Because as it is, it could you could you could think that that maybe you know George Senior is having some weird fever dream while this is all going on. Like and he thinks all the gangs want him, or like it's a, such a weird kind of just like a running. It's just like a running joke. It's not really a. But he's so calm about it too that it doesn't seem like. <laughs> yeah. He just seems like oh man, I'm I'm just. I feel like the prettiest girl to dance. He he doesn't seem bothered by it or like he's perturbed at all. He's just he's just he's excited to be a part of this world, and that's just it. He. he and Jeffrey Tambor is so, so funny and so great at just delivering these lines. <laughs> um, there is a, there's a one-off joke where he mentions... I'm trying to get my newsletter off the ground. Which I missed yeah. until this watch-through. This is my first time picking up on that. <laughs> and I would love to just have seen 
heard more about his newsletter. I think the funny thing is, like his, yeah, I think his newsletter turns into, you know, the uh, caged wisdom stuff. I think that that's kind of where that comes back. He's like him, him kind of doing. I, I I don't think it's the same thing, but like the idea that he's doing something in prison, you know, um, kind of kind of giving out his knowledge. I think that kind of comes back as caged wisdom later on. For me. Mm. That's that's like the feeling I get. That's a good catch. But yeah, it's just like a, it's just it's just like a, a gag that's just kind of tossed off. Where he's like, I'm I'm trying to get my newsletter <laughs> off the ground, and it's the way that Jeffrey Tambor kind of lists stuff as well. He's like super calm. And he's just like the gangs are trying to recruit me, and you're like, this. No one should be that calm. Um, it's also worth noting that in episode five, which is um, visiting hours. The um, which you know is obviously a, a play on a play on words there. It, it, there's there's obviously the the whole incident with um, where they have like the, the the baseball game which ends with the the guard getting beaten to death and the blood all on um, George Senior. So that that in the in the in the um, like broadcast order um, like that come that came after this, but on the DVDs it comes before this. So it's really weird because George Senior seems a lot calmer. So it kind of doesn't make sense because he shouldn't be this calm after what happened on the previous episode. So uh, oh, yeah. it's, just and, a, and it's just a weird a weird little thing. And that um, that baseball game, I remember, is the turning point where he starts trying to break out of prison pretty aggressively. So that, that, is, that is odd now that you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that because I never considered the order being flipped like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, also in this episode, we're kind of introduced to Lupe and we're introduced to Kitty. Um, but they're also both in visiting hours as well. So this is not this is not really their introduction, but it kind of is. So. <laughs> but you know, let's kind of get into the nitty gritty of the actual plot, um, which hinges on the fact that kind of the the thing that that, that is going on is Michael he doesn't want to ride his bike. <laughs> you know, the uh, the heat has made it impossible for him to ride his bike. He you know he's getting to meetings. And um, and and he has this wonderful kind of like overhead projector where he's trying to point to stuff, and his sweat ends up just smearing it, and he's and he's just kind of like, well, the the important part is, and he's just basically smeared everything, so you can't tell what it's meant to say. And there are no um, numbers on that graph anyway, so I mean, you're not hurting true. anything, not happening. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the, just the a smear, clip art. <laughs> yeah, the smear doesn't really help, but yeah, it, it's nothing. There's nothing sp- super specific on there. I think it's weird because up until this point, you know, Michael has been the one who's visiting the prison the most and there's never really been any implication that he's been riding his bike there all the time. Uh, there's been a couple of mentions of him taking the, the stair cars and obviously people escaping using the stair cars, uh, which happened in the episode that was broadcast before this. So, you know, the, the kind of stair car and again, they get they get they get they have a shout out to that. With- Why don't you just take your precious portable stairway vehicle you're always trying to convince us is a car <laughs> which i think is funny that Joby's has this level of anger about it um anyway yeah but like you know <laughs> and we also get the narrated that is a lie a bald-faced lie Job was lying he had been driving his father's car the car is the kind of the thing that drives the plot of this which is michael doesn't want to ride his bike everywhere he wants to use his father's car and we get a, a wonderful little flashback Something that's worth noting, I think this is the first time we get a flashback to the young Bluths, and the actors that play the young Bluths in this episode are the actors who play the young Bluths for the first three seasons in every flashback. Are they really? Yeah, so like the young Michael, young um, Job, uh, they're the same actors um, for for like, um, for for each, each time that they appear. 
Um, so, you know, I think that's a nice um, kind of detail. But it also um, brings up Michael's obsession with ice cream <laughs> and how he he's not allowed in the flashback to have ice cream in the car. And so, of course, when he when he eventually gets his hands on the car and he and he finds it, uh, he he decides. Well, I'm getting some ice cream. I can tell you that right now. Michael having ice cream is a thing that recurs throughout the show. But most notably, when we had the the episode a few, a few episodes ago with the where they introduced the cornballer. Uh, Michael burns himself and he uses a tub of ice cream on the burn. <laughs> so he, 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 he just loves ice cream. I never noticed that with the burn. It's a power play for him too because I was re-watching, I think it's a, the Top Banana episode. Uh, after he burns down the banana stand, he's eating yeah, he an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> His dad yeah. was eating the ice cream sandwich before so it's like the power is shifted. And so yeah, every yeah. time he's feeling triumphant over his dad, he has an ice cream. <laughs> yeah, whoever is eating the ice cream is the one who has the power. Um, and we get we get a kind of introduction of Kitty. I I mean, again, I don't want to go too much into the broadcast order thing, but yeah. So we meet Kitty here for the first time, played by uh, Judy Greer, although we've kind of already met her. But this is quite an interesting introduction because uh, in the other episode where we've already kind of seen her, she was very kind of indifferent to Michael being in charge. Um, and she was she kind of was putting up roadblocks and all this kind of stuff. Whereas here, she's like very truthful <laughs> about the permits not being filed. Um, but I love I love again that we get one of the kind of trademark blue things of people saying one thing about one matter and them hearing it as a, a, a statement about another matter. So Kitty says, "Don't worry, I told them the truth." That I rode here on a bike, and obviously he's thinking she, you know, he he means about like why he was smearing the 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 kind of overhead projector stuff, but no, she says that the permits weren't filed, and I think it's kind of funny that uh, you know he think he thinks that she would have gone to the trouble of telling the investors that he was riding here on a bike, which is something that you don't think she would actually say, but uh, you know, it's a, it's such a weird kind of detail to introduce. Uh, kitty to us. I remember watching this episode for the first time and seeing that character. I think this was my introduction to Judy Greer too. And uh, she just made such an instant impression and I'm just like, oh my, I, I would definitely want to see so much more of this character. She only has about four or five lines, but she conveys so much about how unbalanced this character is. And just like just her, her passive-aggressive petulance and uh, just her, her, her line when she says I'm not the liar. You know, she looks him dead, looks him dead in the eye, and gives a little smile, like, like she's tr almost trying to cover that she's, like, she's not even really trying to cover that she's just insulting him straight to his face. And I'm just at that moment, I'm just like, man, I really hope they put some more time into this character because she is fantastic, and Judy Greer is just one of my favorite actresses. She's able to just nail these these little moments so well. And yeah. this is one of the few projects I feel that's really used Judy Greer to her full potential. I feel like. These days, more and more, she's cast as divorced mother that's in one scene. Like, I think she was divorced mother in Jurassic World and Ant-Man in the same summer. Like, she's, they, they're really not using her to the best of her abilities. She was in 13 Going on 30 at the end of this season. So she did, like, this first full season of... Uh, I mean, she's got, you know, not every episode, but she's got enough appearances that by the end of the season, she's quite an important character. So she did that, and then she did 13 Going on 30. And I have a feeling that that's the film that kind of cast her in the role of goofy best friend. And then kind of she's transitioned yeah. from that into kind of divorced mother. So, yeah, I think, I, I don't know what happened. It, it, I guess, you know, 
she seems fairly happy. So it's very, it's very, it's very sad when you cast her career with that sort of trajectory from, you know, best friend to divorced mother. It's just this very small tragedy of an underused comedic actress, and it's really you kind of bummed me out a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just thinking about it. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't feel too bad. She's working like crazy. I mean, she's, yeah, she's, she's putting out five, six, seven movies a year. You know, she's, she's working. <laughs> well, yeah, like, like it's, know, it's a very work. small tragedy, as I said, very small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the important thing is her obsession with Job, which will bear itself out or has borne itself out in the previous episode. <laughs> um depending on which order you see them in, helps here because she says that she saw Job driving in um, George Sr.'s car, and that is what links us to the kind of second part of this plot, which is, uh, you know, Job uh, wanting a banana. That's all he wants. <laughs> he, uh, I say that's all he wants. He wants a Job, which is uh, double-dipped with everything on in. And I love that he approaches George Michael, um, and he says... Give me a Job. Job! Job! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he goes, no, I didn't mean for you to yell my name at me. And it's such a stupid exchange, but I just love... And why Why would he assume that George Michael knew what a Job was? He just shows up. Why would he expect any other reaction? He's never talked about this. And George Michael is so enthusiastic uh, about giving his brother that, hey, it's a, give me a Job! He's just, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. You see his face just fall when he realizes what's actually going on. You know, this is where Job says, you know, why don't you just drive around in the, the stairs? And um, this is where Michael kind of ex- uh, sort of explains Tobias' absence from this. <laughs> in fact, Tobias had intended to park the family's only vehicle at the airport parking lot, but was waved onto the tarmac instead, where he found a spot close to his gate. You know, use one of his phrases... Where he says, from whence it came, huh? <laughs> and of course, that was what he was yelling when he was trying to throw the letter into the ocean, <laughs> throw the bird into the ocean, and then just drop the rabbit into the ocean, um, you know, a few episodes back. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, so Tobias, you know, he, um, for some reason, the, the stairs are stranded on the tarmac at an airport, um, <laughs> which I think is a great way of, like, kind of writing, because obviously everyone knows about the stair car this many episodes in. So it's a great way of writing that out so they can bring in kind of the, the tussle over the car that goes on between all the siblings now for the rest of the episode. And keeping the Tobias out of the picture too because we for the for the Bachelorette Drive uh, subplot, we need to... We, you know, Lindsay believes that she is single or she forgets that she's <laughs> married because she forgets yeah. she's married anytime Tobias isn't in the room. You know, that's just... that's the, <laughs> So I think it's important for him to be absent from the episode so that she can uh, commit to that. And we get, like, some of my favourite stuff in this episode, of course, is, is just coming up, which is something that I think is kind of legendary within Arrested Development, which is, of course, Mr. Banana Grabber. Um, <laughs> oh. And it's it's tempting simply just to read every single thing that they say about Mr. Banana Grabber because it's such a great kind of thing. But f- first of all, we get, you know, like, Mike. this is where Michael puts his foot down and, you know, he's like... Because George Michael had to use two sticks to support all the extra chocolate and nuts that are on this banana. And this is where Michael gets annoyed, you know, and I love his line, you know. Two sticks and extra chocolate, is it Mardi Gras? And it's like (laughs) such a weird... What does he think Mardi Gras is? I I think Mardi Gras is just a time where people enjoy themselves and and Michael's not for people enjoying themselves (laughs) in any way, so... 
Um, and then I, I love how we get Job like saying that. Uh, here's the thing as well. George Michael seems to know this already about his uncle, where he's like, he doesn't like to discuss money. I don't like money. to discuss money. And he says that at the exact same time that Job says, I don't like to discuss money. So they're basically overlapping. Sorry, I like how Michael is like, what does that mean? You don't pay for it? <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. What does it mean when you don't like to discuss money? You know, you're at the banana stand. You should you should really pay. Um, now this is this is funny because for the rest of the episode, every other member of the Blue family will know about this incident <laughs> to the point where Michael says to his father when he's in prison, "Is there a chat room that you guys are not charitable? Never mind." I just I just love that. I love how quickly this kind of gossip gets around that Michael is doing something terrible. I, this next bit I just love where Job's like. But I tell you what, if you want to use my likeness for a Hamburglar type character, I'll sign off on that, Mister Banana Grabber. And I just I love. How he comes up with that off the top of his head, and of course that will end up, um, as he says himself, uh, coming to bite him on the ass. And, um, and the next time that comes around, he's already come up with baby banana grabber, <laughs> grabber <laughs> banana grabber family, and a banana grabber theme park. He's already blown this up in his head. Seems like it's all he's been thinking <laughs> yeah. about for the entire span of the episode is expanding the banana grabber universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then of course we get this the, like. Such Will Arnett is just so funny in this little bit where he's like, um, you know, like the, Michael makes George Michael throw away the banana. You know, he puts it in the bin, and, and then Job just goes, "My own brother, Michael," <laughs> and then kind of like, <laughs> and then just goes, "My own selfish brother, Michael," and then as he rides away. You, you know, Michael starts... I do not want you to get upset. He did not mean that. Sometimes he says... And then he comes back into shot and he's like... Selfish, Michael. <laughs> and it's such a perfect interaction between Jason Bateman and Will Arnett, who, you know, as, as far as, like, you know, people portraying brothers on screen, I think this is possibly one of the best because they, they, they sort of know how to niggle at each other and... And it's just it's such a such a great relationship between like these two characters, um, and of course you know Michael putting his foot down here will obviously end up you know as with you know someone giving away the animation rights later on it will end up biting him in the ass because now he doesn't have Job to do stuff uh, for the family and also you know he'll, he'll Michael will reverse his position again with disastrous consequences <laughs> mostly for George Michael in that particular occasion. And then we kind of start get the start of Lindsay's storyline where, you know, she's talking about, um, you know, like uh, the getting ready for the Bachelorette auction. Obviously, this is kind of the centerpiece at the end of the episode. Um, and Michael's saying, you know, you're married, which again kind of emphasizes Tobias's um, absence from this particular episode. Um and this is where we hear about the uh, yet another one of Lindsay's charities, which is the... That's what you said about posing for the Ladies of Literacy calendar. The one with the pictures of all the 30-year-old women in lingerie with their nipples covered by copies of Oliver Twist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the idea that there's this awful calendar in the Bluth family kitchen that Michael just has to walk by every day and just avert his eyes and try to pretend it doesn't exist because that's where the schedule is hidden for the for the car. I always try so hard not to look at this thing. <laughs> yeah. it, it only just now occurred to me the pun about having twist over the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> I never, that never sunk in. Maybe I'm reaching, I don't know, but that, that, I mean, that can't be a coincidence. 
I've, as I found rewatching these episodes, nothing is a coincidence yeah. on the rest of Development. No, yeah, that's fair no, to no. say. It's interesting as well that, you know, here we have the whole plot line about this auction being for the wetlands. Um, and Lindsay thinks they want to dry them. <laughs> um, and Michael says, save them. To which Lindsay says, from drying. So, uh, <laughs> which, again, which again, kind of, uh, it's interesting because this episode is, is kind of one of the episodes where we have a kind of more combative relationship between Lindsay and uh, Michael. And of course, this is where Lindsay lets it drop that she knows about, you know, the, the, <laughs> the frozen banana that Joe wanted. <laughs> And she says, and even after he gave you the rights to his Mr. Banana Grabber character. <laughs> and I think it's funny that to imagine that between scenes, Job has been telling this story, and like I don't know why he's told them about the Mr. Banana Grabber <laughs> character as part of the story. Seems entirely superfluous, but there you go. Uh, I guess it fits with Job. He's clearly and very proud of this, the Mr. Banana Grabber character. It's funny. It's just such a funny joke <laughs> that they kind of. They, like, the, the Job introduces out of nowhere and it just gets built up as this episode goes on. You kind of get this chain of, you know, Michael wanting the car because he keeps having to cycle everywhere, which leads to him, you know, seeing Job because he thinks Job has the car. You know, he, he this then, of course, leads him to Lindsay, who at this point says that Buster has it, it's on the schedule. <laughs> and of course... This is where we find out that Michael tries not to look at the calendar which features Lindsay and lingerie. Um, and then this is where we kind of we get to, to Buster and we get introduced to Lupe. And um, one of Lupe's uh, one of Lupe's kind of defining um, traits will be that she always wears out of date clothing. <laughs> I don't think it's especially noticeable in this episode, but in later episodes. Uh, it will it will become her trademark where she's she's always wearing the wrong seasonal um, clothing, and this is you know we like lose. <laughs> I love how Lucille dismisses what happened with Luz when she says supposedly Luz had to take her daughter to the hospital, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and of course again the classic kind of blue speaking at purposes where Michael is like God I hope she's okay she's awful. Can barely wash a dish. And she's, obviously, she's talking about Lupe, and Michael's talking about Lucy's daughter at this point. And you know, <laughs> Lucille starts shouting at Lupe. Uh, and you know, again, we this episode actually, you know, Lucille is is usually a bigger character, but she's she's kind of here with the um, with Buster in the kind of like the the smallest plot that goes on in this episode with um, Buster and Lucille two, and of course Lucille one. Um, you know, she's just here at the beginning to set up the fact that um, the Buster should be bidding on her at the Bachelorette auction later on. And the only reason she's doing it is because she wants to she wants to get a higher bid than Lucille Ostero. That is like literally the only reason for her to go to the Bachelorette auction at this particular time. Um, and of course, in a flashback, we see her taking yet another shot at Lucille too, where she's... I already saw it in New York. But, but that's of no use to a woman whose vertigo makes flying a grotesque misadventure. And, uh, and Minnelli's, <laughs> Minnelli's comeback. You must have scrimped and shaved <laughs> The sparring between those two is so pitch perfect. And, like every time they, they come on screen together, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> we get a little bit of uh, the... Slightly unhealthy relationship between Lucille and Buster, <laughs> where Lucille says, and the funny thing is, she says this in a way that suggests uh, like a romance, where she says, oh, "I think there's a certain bachelor who won't mind coming home with me at the end of the evening." And, it's, and then, of course, Michael's like, "Buster," um, and I just, 
I love that. And, of course, this is the point at which um, uh, Buster has, you know, as they say in the, the narration, inadvertently flirted with uh, Lucille Astero. And so he's kind of hiding from her and having, like, panic attacks. And we see a kind of, um, like, a little montage of, of Lucille kind of leaving all these messages about, you know, how she wants to take him to see the producers. Buster, hi, it's me again. I've still got this producer tickets and I'd, I'd love to share them with you. I don't want you to think I'm taking this more seriously than you are and unless you're planning some grand romantic gesture, my feelings are just the teensiest bit hurt. And this this was a really endearing uh, uh, Manelli moment for me because first of all she's reading her notes, she's reading off a notebook like a junior high schooler and she does a very very subtle stagger when she's walking around reading because of her vertigo. It's very subtle. I never noticed yeah. it until I watched it again this time. But, like, her vertigo is always there, and it's like she's just always kind of wobbly. <laughs> and I don't know. I just thought that was really charming that she's reading it off a notebook. Like, she's intimidated by basically Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> I had never noticed yeah. that. That's, that's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think as well, um, you know, I... I I said I've said this before, and I'll probably say it every time we see it. But Liza Minnelli as Lucille Astero is just so brilliant. Oh, she's and she's the, a treasure. Great. The way that she reads when she says, uh, "My feelings are just the teensiest bit hurt," like you you feel the hurt in her voice, and you you feel that she, you know, Buster like the the whole gag is Buster had his glasses off, and so he just kind of like accidentally flirted with her. But they, the you know, the show kind of turns it into something a little bit more real when you realize that you know she's a person. And the fact that Buster accidentally flirted with her is funny, but now she thinks that he has an interest in her. Um, and so, you know, although we understand why Buster is avoiding her, it's, you know, there is a little tiny bit of cruelty there where, you know, he should just admit what's going on um, instead. Uh, and of course, we find out how clueless Buster is when Lucille tries to explain the process of like when to bid and he says when they call my name <laughs> Lucille says no they're not going to call your name they're going to call my name and she says good grief and I think this might be the second time that someone said good grief and that will actually become the ep- the title of an episode later on the, the casual playful way he toots on his whistle and laughs help uh, just shows me he really doesn't have a concept of what this whistle is actually for <laughs> I mean he's just like toot help and he's so playful with it I also love in this scene, like, we get to see uh, uh, Buster flashing back to his uh, his uh, archaeology class <laughs> and getting really excited. We may have found a pterodactyl, and then they cut to what is very obviously a human skull. <laughs> so he also doesn't know what a pterodactyl yeah. is. And, and he immediately yeah. destroys it as well. Immediately. That I mean, it was like 90% gravity, gravity yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is, that is, like, kind of, yeah. Yeah, uh, that is funny. That's become kind of a meme too. Like I don't know, I've I've seen that uh, that the, that skull being bashed <laughs> as a as a gif. Like whenever it's like, oh oh look, wow, we found something amazing. Yeah, so it's kind of a anyway. <laughs> this is the this is the internet check in. <laughs> you know what's going yeah. on with and, um, kids nowadays. He talks about his um, his homework in the back seat, um, and obviously we'll find out in an episode. You know a little while from now, that that's actually a huge rock. <laughs> so when he says homework, you think like maybe a book or something, but um, no, it's a huge rock. And Michael finds out that basically their father's car has been destroyed by all his siblings doing whatever the hell they wanted in this car. And of course, this is when he decides 
uh, I'm getting some ice cream. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that he just says that to himself. Like, there's no reason for him to say that, but I just think it's funny that, you know, like, his frustration over what's happened. It's such a great, it's such a great beat to end that act on, too, that brings all that, that whole uh, little running gag with him and the, the car together, too, and it's, uh, it's so funny. And also, we've had, you know, we've had, you know, everything's set up. We've got the charity auction. We've got Buster. You know, we've got Lucille wanting Buster to bid on her. We've got him trying to avoid Lucille, too. We've got Lindsay and her charity... You know, basically everything that's going to happen in the next, you know, for the rest of the episode has already been so skillfully set up. And in this kind of chain of Michael trying to find the car, he's ended up going from from Job to Lindsay to Buster. And each one of each time he's done that, he's set up a new storyline that will, you know, kind of pay off towards the end of the episode. And this car is such a big deal to Michael. And it's such a casual uh, uh, afterthought to all of his siblings, like not just in the way that they treat it, but in the way that they use it. Like for Michael, yeah. like being able to use this car as the ultimate symbol of approval from his father and uh, his, his siblings have just, they just have this. They, it's just a car to them. Like, they don't care. It's funny as well because, like, you know, you know, Michael kind of gets to do a lot of stuff that his father does. You know, he's running the company like his father did. Like, there's a lot of stuff that he, he echoes from George Sr. And yet they didn't think to give him the car. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, once again, he's being given the responsibility of doing something, you know. And we've seen him riding his bike with um, with Buster in a previous episode and with George Michael going on the bike rides, all that kind of stuff. So we know he rides the bike, but it's funny that up until this point, he's had the choice between riding his bike or taking the stair car. And all this time, there's just been a car that he could have used if he just <laughs> wanted to. But because he's such a loyal son, he hasn't. Uh, and I think it's funny that it's another case of his loyalty basically not being rewarded. Because obviously, if there was any kind of sense, they would have given the car to him first, and Job, you know, could have had the stairs or whatever. Like, you know, he. Anyway, and this is where we get the kind of George Senior in prison, uh, you know, trying to figure out, you know, basically saying you you lied to your investors, you've got to make that right. Uh, call Job; he'll handle it. That's what he's for. And then I love um, Jason Bateman's reading of the line. That's what he's for. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Just this sudden realization, just, oh my God, he does something. Yeah, it's like Job is the fall guy that you want to commit illegal acts because, <laughs> you know, that's 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 what he does. Um, and then, of course, you know, like as in the previous scene, you know, where Lucille guessed that a banana costs $10. Here, you know, George Sr. has already, you know, he says, you, be- you better tell him I'm asking. I don't think he's going to do it for you. Uh, after you wouldn't even give him a frozen banana. <laughs> Michael's like, is there a chat room that all you guys... <laughs> you know? and I just I just love that he's kind of like puzzled as to how everyone knows, even in prison, uh, you know. And and then, of course, you know, George Sr. is like, I've got a dance to get ready for. And Michael's <laughs> like, whoa, there's really a dance? And George Sr. is just like, I don't know, both sides are making a lot of promises. Uh <laughs> And that's that's kind of like that's kind of where Michael and George Senior's story will end. Of course, you know Job will go and visit him later on. <laughs> this is this is where Job is like you should call this a Job when he gets to the the. Uh... Now I would I would call it a toffee apple, uh, because obviously I'm not American, uh, but I, I think <laughs> wait I think what Amer- I'm sorry a toffee apple <laughs> yeah it, you basically you have like a liquid toffee and you dip an apple in it on a stick and then you let it harden. And that is a toffee apple. Uh, and mm, the, 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 is it? Yes. 
Yeah, usually the quality of apple that's inside is is not great. So you're mainly getting it for the hard toffee that okay. you can basically so bite down. We've on. got that much in common. Both the yeah. candied apples there, and toffee are, apples are made with low quality apples. There are there are yeah. candy apples and then there are caramel apples as well. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what they are, uh, whoever invented them needs to be executed. Yeah, they're terrible. I mean, they're <laughs> uniformly awful. This this is not an enjoyable snack for anybody no. on any level. You like apples? Let me cover it in this in this sugar. You like sugar? Oh, let me let me make it wrapped around an impossibly hard apple. You like your teeth? Too bad, sucker. They're gone. It looks so appealing too. It's so shiny and and colorful and round. And you think maybe this time it will be good. It will never well, be good. It will never be good. <laughs> Well, this is Job's fate, as he's obviously got the guy at the candy apple stand to cover it with, you know, as as, as much stuff that he could possibly can, and uh, he breaks a tooth. And, uh, you know, as as Michael asks him for a favour, this is where Job's whistle will begin in this episode. Uh, this is something that will happen in a, a, another episode later on, uh, which will cause George Sr. to call him Tweety Bird. But here, it's just it's just a way so that he will be forced to use George Michael to do something that he should be doing. Um, and Michael says, you know, Dad would like you to break into the permit office. And, of course, Job is is the one who... Like, I think this is true of, you know, at least three of the Blue siblings, that they're always wanting George Sr.'s approval. And here, you know, Will Arnett's kind of delivery of Dad said he wanted me for that. I think it's kind of really hopeful... And I think it's funny that George Sr. is basically telling Michael to u just use that to manipulate Job because he knows that Job wants his approval. So I think it's funny that Job is still kind of hopeful that his father wants him to do this thing for him. Uh, you know, when in reality he doesn't. Um, but yeah, and, and this is where we get the, um, <laughs> like a great kind of use of this this whistle where <laughs> Job says have some conditions and of course as he says yes he whistles and he hesitates and then he goes terms and then he goes one condition and one term <laughs> so that he isn't whistling and I think it's such a great like knowing that the whistle is going to be on the S I think it's such a clever gag to set it up like this that you know he, he changes it to a term and a condition um, and then uh, you know the condition is free banana whenever I want. And this is where we get like some some great negotiation. Single dip. And then Job is like double dip, but I'll take one stick. <laughs> such a such a weird kind of. We know that one stick's not going to be able to hold that banana because we've seen that earlier. Um, and then here is where we get the great line about. All right, what else? Creative control, spin-off rights. And theme park approval for Mr. Banana Grabber, <laughs> Baby Banana Grabber, and any other Banana Grabber family character that might emanate therefrom. And then I love that Michael goes, I retain animation rights, and we're going to go back to single dip. Job goes, done. And I love that the, the, the kind of the button to the scene is <laughs> Job going, I believe I gave you animation rights. Man, I hope that doesn't come back and bite me in the ash. And it's such a... I think this is one of the things like about having a family that are like stupidly wealthy is... They would negotiate for like animation rights to characters. <laughs> like that's that's a stupid thing that they would do. Um, you Who know, do you think some I, of the other uh, members of the Banana Grabber family would be? <laughs> I mean, I'd have to say like Pop Pop Banana Grabber has got to <laughs> okay. be one, wouldn't you That'd say, Gangy? I imagine him kind of like uh, like like Cranky Kong from Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, yeah, and maybe like a sexy female banana grabber. Like I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's well, yeah. I don't know. 
Um, well, Mrs. Banana Grabber seems like an obvious one. But, <laughs> oh, sure, sure. You know. Uh, I'm developing yeah. right now. Let's, let's, get, <laughs> let's, get net, let's get Netflix on the phone. We're just, we're just blue-skying right now. We're just blue-skying. Um. <laughs> I mean, let's not get too far ahead because obviously Michael has some of these questions in, in, a, in an upcoming scene about true. exactly what this will entail. Um, you know, and Lindsay, Lindsay gets, on a, gets on a bus and goes out to the wetlands. Um, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much that whole story. She gets... She kind of gets covered in, like, the wetlands, and then she gets a taxi back from the wetlands, and, you know, her mother says... Oh, honey. You're not supposed to show up as the wetlands. There's a whole lot of wetland stuff going on there. <laughs> but I think it's funny that, like, Lindsay, trying to one-up Michael, actually, like, follows through, because it's rare that you actually see her do that in the, in the show. Hello. I'm in the wetlands. I've got a poker thing, and I'm going to clean them up. So the next time you want to tell me that I'm uncharitable, why don't you just ask yourself, who called you from the wetlands? Who is this? Nice try. You're the selfish one. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got some nature to save. And this this is another example of Lindsay's good intentions just actively harming uh, whatever she's trying to protect. <laughs> so her first, her first action in the wetlands is to impale a frog. She immediately murders a frog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, when she calls Michael up later, she says, I think I maced a... Um, what did she say? She maced a crane. Uh, a maced a crane. She thinks yeah, she may it. have maced a crane. She's not entirely certain what it was. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, this is totally tangential, but I think this is the only moment I've ever noticed Portia de Rossi's uh, accent slip. She's oh, got yeah? A, she's got an excellent American accent, but but it, it slipped while she was in the wetlands. I think she, the way she, that she pronounced stupid, uh, just uh, the Australian came out. Yeah. In but fact, that is interesting that, like, I don't even think of Portia de Rossi as being Australian anymore because, yeah. you know, with, like, four years on Annie McBeal and, you know, three years of this, uh, she just seems American to me, so... <laughs> no, it really is. Uh, a, it's an impeccable accent. Like, I didn't know she yeah. was Australian for a long time. Um, um, I, didn't, I didn't know until uh, this moment. <laughs> you didn't realize she was Australian? Uh, I did not. No, she, she fooled well, me. You're, you're no. welcome. <laughs> Watch uh, Sirens. There's a movie called Sirens. Yeah, Sirens. And El yeah. McPherson. Not El McPherson. No, is it El McPherson? It is El McPherson. Yeah, it is El McPherson, and Hugh Grant, and... Hugh Grant, um, yeah. Sam Neill. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. This is the point at which Michael attempts to... You know, hearing Lindsay in the wetlands, he he tries to do a charitable act. And this is... I mean, of the whole episode, I just love everything in the car. Because... Um, everything he's saying to him sounds like he's being friendly but if you are Helen Delgado this stranger that has been picked up by this you know this this, this guy who's picking you up is a complete stranger everything he says he's so threatening and upon seeing bones a shovel and what appeared to be blood she realized he wasn't who she thought he was uh, Helen was waiting for a lift and Michael picks her up um, and I love how he's like um, you know, she says, uh, US Scaredo, and he goes, oh, is, is Scaredo, I know that one, uh, left turn it is, missus, <laughs> it's just like, he doesn't know Spanish, of course he doesn't know Spanish, and that, that helps us with the, uh, Marta storyline, which doesn't surface in this particular episode, but obviously is kind of long running, one of the things, when he starts learning Spanish, uh, in a few episodes time, Job gets extremely suspicious, uh, of that, um, <laughs> but this is the point at which Michael now, uh, speaking out loud, and I don't know why he is, 
But he tries to figure out the concept of Mr. Banana Grabber, and he says, Man, I guess it would just be a guy who, you know, grabs bananas and runs, or um, a banana that grabs things. I don't know. Why would a banana <laughs> grab another banana? I mean, those are the kind of questions I don't want to answer. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> Whereas I am eager to get into this in my <laughs> I really want to, I, I think we can find, come up with a very solid motivation. Rooted in emotional he, truth. I love, I love how he's just workshopping it with this this strange <laughs> woman in his car. Even if it was Lupe, why would he be workshopping this? It's just such a weird, <laughs> such a weird trait. Uh, and this is kind of when Lindsay admits that you know everything's terrible. She maced a crane, you know, come and pick me up. <laughs> and this is where Michael goes crazy. Loco. <laughs> Listen, we're gonna make a little detail. And the way he says it at Helen, and she's kind of like clutching. Her, um, does she, she got a rosary in her hands, I think? Yeah. She's kind of yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and she's like frightened. And I think it's, the way he just yells crazy loco, like at her, it's so funny because, like, to him, he thinks he's being friendly. And uh, I just love it. I just love the way Jason Bateman plays everything in, in this kind of scene. And this is the point at which we see the police kind of coming past in the opposite <laughs> direction to suggest that, you know, she's been reported missing already. And we, we get Job trying to figure out how to get into the permits office, but now he's got a whistling tooth. <laughs> he, um, he's not as incognito as he wants to be, and uh, one of the guys is like, Hey, Gary, get a picture of me with the new whistling delivery guy. That you guy know. needs to get out more. <laughs> yeah. That's what's so exciting to him. Oh, my God, this delivery guy whistles. <laughs> <laughs> But I just I love that little scene because you know he's got the shorts and he's got the uniform and he's got the cap on and like it's actually quite a good plan to kind of case the joint and figure out where stuff is, but the fact that he's got this whistling tooth kind of just ruins the whole plan. <laughs> and this is where George Michael, you know, <laughs> it's like you know break into the permit office. I love that earlier Michael forced to apologize to Job in front of George Michael and say to him, you know, whatever your uncle says, do that. And this, of course, leads to him breaking into the permit office. For a moment, George Michael is going to check with his dad until maybe overhears him and says, You're going to break into a permit office? Sweet, can I come? <laughs> and the narrator just says, And George Michael saw a chance to get closer to maybe. Uh, you know, Mike, George Michael gives the excuse. You know, my dad hates to micromanage. Let's just do this. <laughs> just, this is not I true love... in the least. No, but I love how quickly George Michael finds a reason to bring Maybe along. And this is kind of like she's in this scene and the next scene and that's all we see of Maybe. So this is kind of a this is a, a Funke light episode this week. And then of course, you know, Lindsay gets a taxi, she gets out of the wetlands. Um, you know, Job goes to see his father and I think this is the first time that Job has gone to see his father without it being him trying to escape from prison and getting stabbed by White Power Bill. Um, this is like the first kind of official visit of him sitting in the room uh, and of course there's a, a dentist in here who uh, took liberties with his patients and I'm going to ask him to take a look at oh. whatever is happening with his <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's going to ask him to um, take a look at what's happening with you is, is the way he phrases it and I love the fact that, you know, George Senior is like, uh, my stock is never going to be higher with his gang than it is right now. <laughs> so I don't... So this is the funny thing is I don't know what this dentist did and I don't think I want to know given that he's he's with one of the gangs that is currently courting um, George <laughs> Senior. And then, of course, you, you know... I don't know. I thought I had it down to two, but then the Haitians made this beautiful pitch. 
<laughs> just the wistful way in which Jeffrey Tambor delivers those lines is just so great. <laughs> and obviously, George Senior is angry. I love that uh, George Senior says, you know, it's a very strict, no touching policy here. But um, oh, what the hell? I, I, it's worth a week in the hot box. No you touching. Stupid ass. <laughs> Attacking <laughs> Joe. <laughs> yeah. And I, and then of course you know this is where he calls him like you know he's like screaming you stupid ass and the, and the guard is saying no touching and I think it's such a it's such a great kind of uh, just kind of like a great way to kind of show that um, George Senior you know out of everyone in his family obviously he kind of has certain levels of contempt for his children <laughs> ranging from you know utter contempt for maybe Job and Buster and slightly less contempt for Lindsay and and um, and Michael. But he loves his grandkids kind of more than more than he loves any of his actual kids. And I think this is kind of like one of the first times where we see that where, you know, like he, he he's basically telling Job, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have sent George Michael to do that. <laughs> uh, although, you know, in a way it is kind of it is kind of, um, you know, George Senior's making it in that he, he forced Michael to to get Job involved, which meant he had to tell George Michael, you know, Breaking into the uh, the uh, the office doesn't go quite as well as planned when uh, <laughs> George Michael finds out that they're going to be checking for fingerprints and uh, and this is where um, Michael Sarah delivers like a kind of like a, a really funny kind of naive statement where he says, "My record's clean." Well, I got my bike seat stolen once, but I don't think it counts on your record if you're the victim. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's such a stupid line, but. I, I just love how he's like, you know, like, well, someone stole my bike seat once. And again, of course, we're calling back to the fact that George Michael and uh, Michael both like to ride bikes. <laughs> and so, you know, obviously it makes sense that one of the only things that George Michael actually owns is a bike. Uh, because as we know from the pilot, the uh, the model home is basically filled with stuff that doesn't belong to either of George Michael or Michael. It's just there to make the house look good. And then this is where Lindsay arrives at the wetlands auction. Um, she arrives there and, you know, <laughs> Michael kind of bids on her. What do I hear for Lindsay Bluth? Gentlemen, it's a good cause. And as Michael looked at his sister, uncertain whether her face was red from embarrassment or the sun damage, it was clear she had been in the wetlands that day. One thousand. Seriously. So, to the man who truly knows what charity is. <laughs> it's just a bit of a cruel line, but, uh, you know, it is kind of true. Uh, and of course that relates to the title of this episode, which is called Charity Drive, which, you know, obviously this is the char the charity drive in question is the, the auction for the wetlands. But also Michael has been driving around practically all day. <laughs> uh, so it, I guess you could call that a charity. Well, I mean, he tries to pick that woman up and that's, a, that's kind of a charitable act. <laughs> Buster shows up. Lucille! <laughs> and Buster showed up just in time. To bid on the wrong Lucille. <laughs> How grand! How terribly grand! Lucille has been waiting for a grand gesture and she says, How grand! How terribly grand! <laughs> and I think, uh, I think there's like a nice little thing as well here at the episode <laughs> where, like, Lindsay. In, in, as as she's walking past people. Well, how embarrassing! My old brother buying me, I'd rather die. 
And then, of course, she whispers. Thank you. And uh, I think it's kind of like a, a nice little kind of touching moment between these two. It is, yeah. Any other show, that would have been the button. That would have been, no, you, you've you earned it. You've earned it. It is immediately cut short by Michael getting arrested. <laughs> you know, they're like, you're under arrest. <laughs> For the forced abduction of Helen Maria Delgado. And put into the same car you know, in the back seat next to George Michael. And Michael's like, what'd you do? Just trying to be a good guy. Me too. Me too. Let's go see Pop Pop. <laughs> and it's just like, such a, it's, it's funny because like, you know, aside from um, Michael telling George Michael to listen to his uncle and kind of the conflict at the beginning over a job, um, the, their stories have kind of been apart and it's always nice when they finish with um, Michael and George Michael together at the end of the episode. I always kind of love too when, when Michael, you know, so much of Michael's arc throughout the show is how he's so much smarter and better and, and kinder than the rest of his family. So I always like it when that kind of blows up in his face a little bit. You know, because he's 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 trying to do the right thing, but he's also being kind of racist, just assuming that these two Mexican women are the same people. And I mean, he, he takes him on this really like he's, he's kind of oblivious to how horrifying his car must look to this woman. He just assumes she'd be so grateful that this white savior came along to give her a ride. Yeah, and so of course, nice when he gets you know, Arrested Development is very clever in that you know Michael's kind of racism, which is obviously completely unintentional. Is then immediately on the next Arrested Development, Michael gets a lucky break when Helen makes the same mistake and she picks number four and Michael just kind of exits the uh, the lineup very quickly to make sure she doesn't pick him. And it's just such a funny moment that, you know, uh, it could have, like, things, I like as well that, you know, you kind of like, things could have been terrible. Um, you know, Job has already said, you know, under 18 gets to walk. So we know that nothing's going to happen to George Michael. But obviously Michael did abduct someone and drive them around for a few hours. But I like how it's kind of tied up here by, you know, the mistake that he made kind of comes back to to Helen. And uh, and then the final kind of the final few shots, like the final 30 seconds of this episode might be one of my favorite things in the entire series, which is, of course, um, <laughs> we get to see the animation of Mr. Banana Grabber, who is a banana that looks suspiciously <laughs> like Job riding around on what looks like a Segway like Job's and talking with a lisp. And Job kicks himself for a bad business decision. Look, I see you go. Oh. I never should have given up animation rights. Perfect button to the whole episode. I, was, I wasn't clear if that was a show or if that was like a commercial for the banana stand or... Yeah, I, want, I wanted to ask you guys. I've always been a little confused about that because obviously it's hilarious he's the breakout character of the entire episode and possibly show mr banana grabber but in the world of arrested development what is happening there like did michael develop the, yeah is it a commercial because we we never see this again you say we never see this again and yet i think you'll find that we do see this again because the mr but like this little tiny piece of animation plays a few more times in <laughs> at least three more episodes of oh does it yeah there's a there's a little bit of it in the when we first meet oscar and you see his trailer on the TV. Mr. Banana Grabber is on, and um, there's a little, there's a little tiny, there's a little tiny piece of it when you see George Michael's election video, um, and in the like before Scandal Makers comes on, you know, like in the in the episode uh, Spring Breakout, there's a little tiny piece of Mr. Banana Grabber appears there 
just before the commercial <laughs> Scandal Makers plays. So within the world of the Arrested Development universe, it's a cartoon that exists, basically. Um, and what we're watching is part of an episode. Uh, you know, they never say how many episodes or what length the episodes are, but it's a thing that exists. Maybe they're like little... Adult Swim, you know, eleven minutes. It might be that. Or, or... I don't. I mean, you don't know. Like, they, they never say, but that's that's what I always got the impression that it might be that it might be like a like a like you say like an Adult Swim type situation where it's just really short episodes, um, and we you know we find out that that Mister Banana Grabber distracts people and grabs bananas, <laughs> and he is himself a banana. So that's all of the all of the kind of stuff that Michael didn't want to think about has been worked out beautifully for him. I guess that just means um, he actually went through with the process of developing this show or at least selling the concept to someone to develop it. That's what I always get stuck on. I, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think he might have just like pitched the idea to someone and then, you know... <laughs> They, they kind of like produced it. I don't know. It's really weird that it's just this stupid gag that, that ends up turning into this thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I just love it. It's such a stupid, such a silly way to end an episode. <laughs> and I can imagine if like, and now I can't stop thinking about it. It's like a <laughs> system. Like, the, 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 the sentient bananas get to feast on the unsentient bananas. Or do, is there a point where they reach sentience? If we just let them develop, I've got the image from the end of the episode just up on my screen right now, and I just can't stop staring at it because of how fantastic the design for Mr. Banana Grabber is. It, yeah, he's got your yes. receding hairline. <laughs> got, got the segue everything. for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> well, he hasn't got legs. That's, that's true. So... Right. He doesn't have feet or legs. <laughs> so how else would he get around if he didn't? I, I mean, I don't know how he's holding on. <laughs> I think he's got little tiny arms. He's got, he's got he, little but, tiny arms, but, but you're right. He has no legs. Yeah. he's got to grab. He's got to grab. Yeah, true. He's got little. <laughs> yeah, it's such a it's such a weird concept. But yeah, so you know that's the episode basically. Uh, is there anything else that kind of you want to chat about before we finish? Uh, I'd just like to note that uh, th- this show is exceptionally skillful about the way it covers up swear words. Oh, you have your yeah. usual bleeps. But the actors are always like slightly moving their heads to be behind another actor, or their their hand is raising up in a very uh, a natural manner just to cover the movements of their mouth. So I, I don't know. I noticed that with Kitty too. Like she when she said oh, you're full of shit, she turned around and it, like I don't know. We said we just saw the back of her head immediately when she said that. It just made me think like that's been a trope throughout the show. They're really really good at covering up swear words. Yeah. And I'm g- That's apropos of nothing. I just like <laughs> so. Is there anything else, or have we fully covered it? Do you feel? I just want to take a quick poll um, with you two here, just off the top of my head. Do you guys think it's a good idea for me to get a Mister Banana Grabber tattoo? <laughs> well, I mean, well, where, where? Uh, follow-up question: Where should it be? Mm, yeah, I'm thinking the left side of my face. Oh. <laughs> that would contour quite mm. nicely. I would also say uh, along the entirety of your spine. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that would that would work. Like the uh, work. like the killer in Red Dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see a Red Dragon style film, but when someone takes their top off, it's Mr. Banana Grabber from from sternum to you know. Just basically covering the whole body. Do you just see, to be... <laughs> Michael? It'll just be, be like one of those inexplicable mashup T-shirts that you can buy online. It's 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 mashing my Red Dragon fandom with. I gotta my pitch this to T Fury. You 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 are that, that's good. You're on fire today. You got this. You got this animation deal and with Netflix. You got the T-shirts. There is one small joke that I wanted to point out, uh, which is, um, 
Lindsay talks about uh, in a in a previous episode. She says Nutafest, which of course Michael refers to as her wedding. Um, <laughs> but in in this episode, she's wearing a Nutafest T-shirt when she's uh, out in the wetlands. So, oh my god, I didn't notice that. There's a, there's a little callback there for everybody. That's fantastic. And there is a sign next to the uh, candied apple stand that says "Proprietor not responsible for dental damage." Almost, almost as if. Uh, you know, they already knew <laughs> that Job was coming along. They, they, they know that their whole industry is garbage. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they just, they know. They, they contribute nothing. They bring. You nothing should have to, to sign a world. waiver before you buy a candied apple, or I'm sorry, a toffee apple. And no, 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 just toffee apple, toffee. I think toffee apples, candy apples, and caramel apples are all totally different things. They, I, I mean, I'm just describing like the process of having an <laughs> apple that's covered in something. Like molten and then left to harden. Yeah, you toffee it. So generally, it's, it's toffied. Yeah. Can't imagine that a frozen banana tastes any better. But I've never had one. I don't know. Yeah, but apparently there's money in it. Have, so I've um, actually there's always money. In it, always. <laughs> yeah, uh, frozen bananas are actually uh, pretty good. I've had them. My um, I mentioned earlier my girlfriend who got me into the show. Who is I feel like I should probably mention is now my fiance. I don't know why I feel the need to. Okay. To, to, <laughs> thank yes. you. I just want. I just want to tie that off a little bit um after that this uh became this show became part of our lives she started making frozen bananas and they're actually very good it's not because you don't cover it with like a necessarily a thick hard shell of chocolate you maybe just drizzle some chocolate and some peanuts on it and it's quite tasty it is cold if you have sensitive teeth i would um yeah. approach with caution but it's not the inedible yeah. mess that a candied slash toffee slash caramel apple is <laughs> okay well you know i i i I don't. I think you might be the first person who's been a guest who has actually sampled a, uh, a frozen banana. So it's nice to hear that uh, they are an actual thing. Because to me, <laughs> they just seem like something made up for the purpose of this show. Well, we're ju- we're just amateurs. Uh, we haven't sampled it at a fine dining establishment. A professional one. Yes. Um, I'm going to say, uh, Jason. Do you have anything you wish to plug in any way? Uh, uh yeah. I'd like to plug my podcast, uh, "Ruin My Life." that I co-host with my friend, and it's about forcing your friends to like the things you like. That's it. Um, uh, do, you have a, do you have a Twitter or anything like that? Oh, um, my Twitter or my show's Twitter? Either one. Either one will do. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at somethingfell. I don't know. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. great. And uh, Steve, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, you know, in, in, unless you're... Uh reading a lot of uh, magazines in the Pacific Northwest, not necessarily. I've got a, a, a podcast I'm working on. Uh, I don't have anything uh, ready yet, but it's it's going to be a, a video game podcast called uh, Last Last Gen, where we focus on video games from the Dreamcast era through the Nintendo DS mm. era. And we're going to be talking about different games and analyzing those. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get that off the ground and uh, okay, hopefully convince uh, convince some people to come on it well thanks for joining me today it's been great to speak to you about this episode of uh arrested development um on the next episode of i've made a huge mistake i'm going to be talking to corin mclean and andrew schwartz and uh we're going to be talking all about my mother the car where <laughs> lucille great episode. lucille attempts to throw herself some surprise parties uh, where, you know, unfortunately no one attends. So, <laughs> uh, so join us next time for that. Uh, otherwise, uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.